The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well, Father. Thanks yeah. for being here. You're welcome, certainly. Father, in our most uh, recent video, we spoke of the topic of college, in particular how that pertains <coughs> to the, the traditional Catholic young person mm. and, and the view that they should take on college. And in that video, Father, you, you appear to take a, a rather strong anti-college stance, and in and, and some uh, circumstances at least. And some of our viewers are a bit concerned that your anti-college stance, at least how they perceived it, is uh, rather contradictory when compared with your uh, with your academy here at Immaculate Conception Academy in Norwood. And if I may sum up some of the concerns, Father, I would say perhaps the main concern is that with Immaculate Conception Academy, uh, it's essentially a college prep school. The uh, the students, even some of the, the previous graduates, have, have said that they they took the PSATs and other like uh, like exams, these these college entrance exams, and uh, they many of if not most uh, of the students are advised to go to college. They're offered guidance in, in this direction. So, would you say that there's any kind of <coughs> contradiction there, Father, between this uh, this anti college stance that you took in the most previous video and then this uh, kind of college prep atmosphere of Immaculate yeah. Conception. Well, Tom, you began your question by saying that I appeared to take an anti-college stand, and uh, I appreciate that uh, qualification there, because in principle, I mean, I'm not opposed to higher education at all. I mean, in principle, I'm all in favor of it. It's just that the colleges uh, in the United States of America, probably throughout the world, have been... Um, basically hijacked, I'm afraid, by leftists. And uh, this makes them uh, somewhat dangerous places to be, you know. So, um, and I think we need to sound a warning. I, th I think parents uh, tend to be a bit naive about this. Not all, not all. But there are many parents who are naive because I think that they kind of uh, relate to their own experience in college a generation ago. <clears throat> but a generation ago, colleges are not, were not then what they are now. Oh, were they on their way? Yes. Were the principles already in, in place? Yes, they were. And some uh, even might relate the experience to two generations ago. You know? And, uh, of course, we've seen a, a very rapid decline. Um, I mean, you know, a generation ago, you wouldn't have... Uh, expected going to college that you'd be uh, just uh, taken take for granted you were going to be with the LGBTQ trans, you know, I guess that's the T part, uh, the trans, the whole trans idea. But you've got to go there, rub elbows, and be comfortable with it and, uh, and be quiet about it and, and just at least outwardly just be in that milieu and, and pretend that you're not 
you know, th- th- that you do not you react to that negatively. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not good. It's not a good thing to have that situation going on and all of the immorality and uh, abortion, you know. Um, you know, we, people are, are, are going to go to college now. They're going to develop friendships, perhaps, with people who have very, very divergent moral views, and that's dangerous. <clears throat> because once we begin to um, like, like people, as it were, you know, have the, these very immoral views, <clears throat> the tendency we have is to begin to find justification for them. Uh, The poet Alexander Pope, back in the 1600s in England, wrote in his Elegy on Man, uh, Vice is a monster so frightful of mean, that's face, as to be hated needs but be seen. In other words, you see vice, and your first reaction is to hate the, what is vicious. Yet, seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. And there's a great deal of wisdom in that stanza, because, <clears throat> again, he's pointing out that as long as we are required to just carry on and, and live in this milieu, <clears throat> eventually we find it, we begin to tolerate it as an evil, right? We endure it, in other words. But after a while, we develop a kind of natural sympathy for it. Um, and that the next step then, as we develop a certain sympathy for it, is to t- kind of normalize it and accept it as just okay, you know? And this is what the, uh, the homosexuals outlined as their plan, precisely to uh, bring homosexuality into the mainstream, as though it was not only uh, normal, but even, even admirable. Mm-hmm. And this is where we are right now. So when people go to our college campuses uh, these days, especially the state colleges, and the so-called Catholic colleges, and I stress it, especially the state colleges and the Catholic colleges, there is that great push to normalize this, and there is a certain a certain danger that this represents to the Catholic conscience. Now, uh, does this contradict saying what I just said? Does it contradict what we have at the academy? And the answer is, I don't believe it does. Um, and the reason being is because I believe that our program at the academy is very strong academically, but also morally. And I believe that there's any place that I know of anyway, there's any place that actually prepares students to address these issues. It is our Immaculate Conception Academy. We deliberately prepare them morally as well as intellectually. And I believe our students are very well prepared, both intellectually and morally. And we have a guidance counselor now who has a great deal of wisdom, and I think he's ideally suited for the task of preparing them uh, intellectually and morally um, in union with the rest of the school, with the classical uh, educational program. 
um, to prepare students to go to college, fight the good fight, and actually um, win the battle, not lose it, not losing their soul, but actually gaining souls for our Lord by their powerful examples um, and standing up for Catholic morality uh, in their own life and also publicly in the, in, the, in, the, in the public forum. The classical program of education is suited for that because not only in the early years of their schooling do they learn the facts uh, and, and the, the math and English and science and all this, they, they, they gain a great deal of knowledge there. But then they go on to the level of learning to understand arguments and argumentation to draw the conclusions and reason uh, by induction and deduction. And then to go on to the third level of rhetoric where they can uh, not only examine the arguments that are presented to them, but they can also fashion arguments of their own and present these in a very compelling way. And this is exactly what you need in order to go out of the college campus into the public forum today and represent your faith. So, I mean, it is precisely because I see these dangers and what I consider to be a certain naivete uh, with my generation of people and the generation behind me uh, that they don't necessarily grasp how, how, how tragically flawed mm. <laughs> these colleges are these days. And what, well, I mean, if it, to call them dens of iniquity, I, I, you know, many of, in many ways they are. I mean, Recently, we talked about sacrificing children to Balak, and I can't help but see that this is the modern way of sacrificing one's children to Moloch, to send them to these temples of Moloch, which constitute many of these, these leftist universities. But, I mean, that doesn't mean there are no good people there. That doesn't mean there are no good professors there. There are. There are, and they're trying to fight the good fight. I'd like them to also have good students, such as we produce, to there, be there to bolster them. I just don't want students being sent to college um, in order to pad the, the pocketbooks of leftist professors, leftist institutions, by taking student loans and indenturing themselves as servants to the government. So they, when they do graduate, if they do graduate, they owe tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to the United States government. And, the, and here, they might be looking to marry and start families with that load of debt on their backs. I don't want to see that happen. But I don't want to see young people going to college <clears throat> who have no need to go because that they're going into trades or other things that are very, very useful and very important, absolutely indispensable to any society. They can make a good living with these things, and uh, they, they don't have to go to a college or university to gain those skills. Um, I hate to see even those who are um, going into professions that need college, that need college training, and there are many of those, heaven knows, these days, that actually demand college training. And, uh, but, but the individual student is not prepared morally to face the challenges and will wind up uh, perhaps learning wonderful things on the natural level in the process of losing their faith and losing their morals. I don't want to see that either. <clears throat> the college students I would see um, going into college and succeeding wonderfully 
are those who have a very strong character formed by the powerful faith, a great sense of morality and responsibility and love for God, and a zeal for the souls of their fellow men, too. And uh, they, they need to be there because they're going to the professions that require this type of education and the certifications they're going to need to move on in that, those professions. <clears throat> those are the ones that I hope we're forming here at, at Immaculate Conception Academy. Well, Father, would you classify the academy as a college prep school then? Because it seems in a, a certain sense, at least, that, that you're doing that. You know, you're trying to say that you are attempting to prepare students uh, intellectually, but also morally and spiritually for the challenges that they'll face in college. So would you classify Immaculate Conception? Well, in all my 35 years here, so I don't recall ever having referred to Immaculate Conception Academy as a college prep school. Okay. Not that it isn't. Uh, it is, really. I mean, the, the school does very well prepare students to go into college and uh, be good members of the church militant and uh, stand there for what is right. <clears throat> they have the, the intellectual and the moral, the spiritual formation they need to do that. But I don't think of it in, in that kind of, I consider the idea of college prep school to have a certain narrow focus. And I think the classical educational program is much wider, much more inclusive than that. Okay. And just say, okay, we've got to get these kids ready for college. Rather, I mean, the expression that I've heard often is preparing them for life. But even that is very narrow, I think, you know, because, but I, I like to see us preparing our students for, for everlasting life. Sure. This is what really matters as far as I'm concerned. I want them to find not only their avocation as plumbers, as lawyers, as doctors, <clears throat> as electricians, Whatever their avocations may be, I want them to be able to find their vocations. Uh, whether their vocation is in the consecrated life of a religious or a priest, uh, the, the life of a, of, of a husband or a wife, uh, raising a family, or just a single person in the world, I say just, that's a vocation unto its own right, in its own right, and a means of sanctification for a soul. In the service of God, a special service to God, and so uh, this is this goes beyond college. So I don't consider Immaculate Conception Academy to be merely a college prep okay. school, but I, I guess I would have to say, in that sense, yes, it is, but it's so much more than okay. that. Well, Father, another point that I've heard raised is that uh, you know you you enumerate all, all of these terrible. Um, terrible things that, that can come about with, with the college experience and a, a college education. Uh, and you seem to speak very highly of trades and like-minded things, but why in your school is there such an emphasis on college and why is there not very much emphasis on, on the trades? Why are there not many shop classes or... Well, for one thing, Tom, uh, it's true, we don't have a lot of shop classes. <clears throat> but I tell you, in the past we have, and we, we still are very open to this, that after a student, a uh, high school student, completes his sophomore year, that student can enroll in college classes uh, uh, for the trades. And there are certain students, 
who in the past we found very, very drawn to that and very gifted in just hands-on work. Where would we be without it? I mean, it's hard to have indoor plumbing, plumbing without plumbers, you know. <laughs> and these days, I mean, probably someone can go into the trades, make a very good living, and be a very good supporter for a family. <clears throat> At the same time, because of his classical education, also be very much uh, very gifted in literature, can become a poet and do many other things he wants to do. You don't run into any plumber poets, <laughs> but the classical education can form people who can do that. They have a, they're very well grounded. They may be in construction, but they have a soul, and the soul loves beauty, and they can be great musicians too at the same time. So um, it's not like the, the, the common core or, or the socialist idea train somebody to be a plumber and don't teach them anything else. You know, just. Uh, just tell them, okay, this is your lot in life. You're, you're a plumber, you're an electrician, you're a dish digger, whatever it is. You work with your hands, and that's all there is to you, so you're nothing but a piece of machinery. That's not the classical education. The classical education sees the plumber, the attorney, the doctor, the priest, <clears throat> all being well-educated in the arts, the sciences, and they can they can communicate with each other in a very interesting way uh, about on all levels of these things and the, the the avocation that one has in life does not limit that person as it does in a socialist or communist environment you know, left is in a left society where somebody's kind of earmarked and just kind of groomed to be kind of a wage slave his entire life and that's all there is of it to him that's all he has to live for that's not the catholic that's not the classical means of education now the um <clears throat> the fact is, though, it depends on our students. I mean, we're very flexible in terms of our students. <clears throat> the reason why we might have a sophomore who express, expresses interest in going into a trade school while still being a student at the academy and coming and attending classes there maybe half a day and then going to the trade school. <clears throat> and the reason why we do that is because we do want to the student, no matter what trade he's going into or she's going into, we want them to have the background in the faith, in, in history, right, um, in the sciences and uh, the other things that form the soul. So don't just tell the child, you want to go into a trade, okay, you need to go somewhere else, and we're not going to accommodate you. We do accommodate them because they have souls, you know. We want them to be well-educated regardless of what, of what trade or what avocation, as I say, they're going into. But if we have students who uh, don't express that interest, but they want to go through the program and, uh, and graduate with, entirely with the academy program, again, I mean, we, we, we let them do that. We work with them. So it, it largely depends upon the student body and uh, the individual students uh, we have to work with. We have students who have... Uh, Gone to the limits of the, for example, the math that we offer at the academy, and need to go on to higher math because they're very gifted, and so we let students go off to college, and attend college classes even during the school day. We want them there for the religion class, you know, um, and uh, other classes again that, that are more spiritual and form the soul. <coughs> but we'll work with students both ways. 
allowing students who, let's say, are very gifted in math or sciences to go off and take uh, math classes or science classes that will get them advancement in college. At the same time, we'll let a student who wants to go into a trade go off and take time in the school day and go off and, and learn things that are conducive to the trade that the person wants to learn. Well, Father, I, I like this this point of, uh, you know, that it depends on the individual student because it actually leads into something else that, that I've heard expressed. And that is this idea, um, even some of your past graduates have, have said this, where they have uh, embarked on the, the college journey and in their, their experience in, in college, they certainly have encountered um, anti-religion sentiments, but that has only strengthened their faith, they say. And so um, perhaps, Father, do you think that we should not be so afraid of sending our children to college because there are many examples, many examples of, of the students who have attended college, their faith actually being strengthened by the opposition that they faced. What do you, how do you Well, that, that's wonderful, you know, to, to see that happen. It doesn't entirely surprise me. Nonetheless, there's a danger there, and I think anyone reasonably would, a parent or an educator, priest, religious sister, for example, would fear sending any soldier into battle, no matter how well prepared he is, because nobody is invincible. And we realize the devil has, you know, certain tricks up his sleeve. And we also see that there are those who have been damaged by going. Now, the students who come from our, our school here and graduate from our school here, I'd have more confidence that they can deal with this in an effective way and actually win souls rather than lose their own. But I mean, there's only, I mean, what, what parent would have a child get his or her first driver's license, turn them loose on I-75 or I-71 I or I-275 here in the Cincinnati area and not be a kind of worried, like, what's <laughs> going to happen to my child? <clears throat> um, even no matter how well prepared the child is, why? Because there are a lot of other drivers on the road, and they don't always follow the rules. So, no, I think it is very important for us to be concerned, because then we we keep an, an eye on the things. You know, in other words, if I sent students to college who I thought were very well prepared, but I didn't express to them my concerns. <clears throat> But just said, okay, everything's fine. You got this. Go in there and, you know, <clears throat> as Francis said, make a mess of things. Make a mess of the college in the sense that you're going to turn it upside down and, you know, uh, convert them all. Okay, I can give them the prep, pep, the pep talk and the prep talk like that, right? <clears throat> but at the same time, I'm going to express to them my concerns. <clears throat> you know, if you begin to compromise and give way here, you can fall very far, very fast, so be very careful. I have to express my concerns to them because I want them to be concerned. I want them to be concerned enough to be on guard and prepared. I'm not going to send a soldier into battle saying, ah, don't worry about anything, you're fine, you're invulnerable. I want the soldier to be on guard and to be very much aware of what's happening and realize there's a certain danger. That's what's going to protect that soldier in the battlefield, that's what's going to protect my student in college. <clears throat> so, no, I think it is important to, to enable them to really see the dangers realistically for what they are, <clears throat> and to have enough, I should say, 
healthy fear, uh, you know, in, in, in a good sense, I mean, not in a slavish kind of way, but to have enough healthy concern that they will be very careful and very cautious. And when the alarm bells of conscience begin to sound, that they will know how to respond to that, how to defend themselves. <clears throat> we teach our students, uh, you know, we teach our children how to defend themselves and how to get out of dangerous situations and how not to get into them. We do that everywhere else. We should all the more so do that when they go out to college. Father, you might not be able to answer this question, but could you quantify? Then I'll first try anyway. Could you? I think this is an opportunity for a short answer. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay. Could you? Could you quantify? Perhaps give me any kind of percentage of your graduates that you think should go to college and should not go to college. It depends on the individuals. Okay. You know, I mean, the, the youngsters, that's, that's youngsters. I mean, these are young adults now, we hope and pray. Mm -hmm. uh, that we don't graduate children. We graduate young men and young women. Uh, it's very hard to say. It depends on what their interests are and what they're prepared for. Um, you know, I, I, one, one day I asked the students in my 11th, 12th grade class, <clears throat> how many of you want to be entrepreneurs and start your own businesses? Well, I mean, about three-fourths of the class raised their hands. Yeah. Well, they have examples in the, in the parish here of men and women who have started their own businesses and done very well for themselves and employ other members of the parish. I see they're, they're, they, they have actually done a lot of good for a lot of families. And they see that this is a great way to go if they can do it. Uh, you know, but I, but I would ask, well, what kind of business do you want to start? What kind of business do you want to go into? Some said they want to go into tech. And some, like... Uh, like one young lady said she wanted to start a, a hair salon, <clears throat> like a cosmetologist. So there, there is a, a good reason for that, too. I mean, there's a place for that, certainly. And um, I could see this individual being interested in that. You know? um, but the fact that she was interested in eventually getting her own business going, I thought, well, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. But obviously, they need, they need training. They need to learn things. They need skills to be able to do that. They have to go where they can learn those skills. Um, so, you know, if you ask me, well, how many of them should, should go to college? I would just say, well, if you need certain skills, go get those skills. <clears throat> uh, you might be able to do what the, Steve Jobs did. Go to college only to enroll in the classes to teach you the skills you need, then get out <laughs> once you have those skills and go do what you want to do. Not everybody can do that. Uh, there are those who absolutely have to have that diploma. They have to have that sheepskin even to get in the door. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, one of those hoops one has to jump through. But uh, if if one can... Um, minimize the wasted time by not taking these courses that are have nothing to do, you know, with their interest or subject matter or faith, or even avoid altogether the courses and subject matter that are damaging to their faith. Um, reading literature that is very immoral by Voltaire or Salinger or who knows what else, you know. Uh, which is more than a waste of time, worse than a waste of time. <clears throat> uh, 
um, avoiding classes and media where they want you to watch these movies that are very salacious. <coughs> you know, our graduates have gotten back to me over the years and told me about their college experiences. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, actually, I kind of go out on a limb here, but, you know, we, we have a, um, as I said, we, we, we I won't, well, I mean, I won't I'll make this time uh, in real time. I'll just say we've had counselors here, guidance counselors, who've actually <clears throat> been in a position of going to the college campuses and confronting uh, administrators in colleges about what uh, his or her daughter's sons were being taught and were being required to read. But here you have a parent who's very proactive and goes and tells them, my daughter is not reading that. My son is not reading that. Now, the children stood up for themselves. The children were young men and young women, and they stood up for themselves. They took a stand. But this is a parent who went and backed up them up, and uh, they, they prevailed. Wow. But this is the kind of thing parents need to do. So when you have a guidance counselor who's been there, done that, yeah. that's good. You know, that guidance counselor is, is going to not only be a great guidance counselor for the students, he's going to be a really good guidance counselor for the parents, too. So uh, we're very blessed to have such people with us today. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, um, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, I think people can easily misunderstand by exaggerating this comment or that comment and taking it out of context. <clears throat> but um, I'm just saying not everybody is suited for that environment. Um, and not everybody needs to, to go there and, and you know, even place themselves in that in order to, uh, to do well in life, as it were, right? Okay. Uh, but the priority always has to be the soul. Sure. Salvation of the soul. Sure. Well, Father, we, uh, we have a few current events and uh, requests for you to comment on these if you're interested. So uh, this, this first one um, is actually a link to a, to a life site article, and it's titled Bishop Apologizes to Unrepentant Adulterers and Invites Them Back to the Sacraments. And there's uh, apparently this Bishop Renato Marangoni. Uh, he's an Italian bishop, and he apparently has written a pastoral letter uh, to his flock, and he invites them to attend a, quote, friendly and familiar meeting, end quote, where they will reflect on the words of Pope Francis and his apostolic exhortation, mm. the Moris Laetitia, and he addresses these uh, divorced Catholics who have begun, quote, new experiences of union, end quote. New experiences <laughs> of union. <laughs> Talk about a euphemism. Uh, but uh, he, um, he essentially says, Father, I'll just read a bit of this here. He says, uh, there is a first word I wish to confide to you. Sorry, with an exclamation point. <laughs> this word contains our awareness that we have often ignored you in our parish communities. So what do you think about this, Father? He's, he's saying that we're, he also says we're very rigid. Um, we, uh, you know, he, he says essentially the Catholic Church has been in the wrong. And we want to now right that wrong. Welcome you back into the fold. Welcome you back to the sacraments. Come to receive uh, penance or reconciliation and come to receive the Eucharist. It doesn't matter if you're uh, living in some kind of new experience of, of union. So what do you think about He's that? He's a real Francis bishop because Francis has said the same on a number of topics that the church was wrong before, but now Francis is being enlightened by the Spirit mm -hmm. that now, now he knows better. Okay? I mean... 
John the 23rd, right? Calling Vatican II said the church used to use like the medicine of justice, but now he's using the medicine of mercy because he knows so much better. This is the typical modernist. He says, this is what the church used to do, but we know so much better right now because now we have the spirit enlightening us to see all the wrongs that the church used to do and we're going to make them right. And of course, uh, this is, as St. Pius had said, characterized by audacity and pride on the part of the modernist. Now, this man, um, a New Order bishop, he really is a New Order modernist. He writes a pastoral letter to his flock, and it's especially directed to those living in open adultery, unrepentant adultery, to come and receive their sacraments. He's going to give them the wafer from the Novus Ordo and show that they are in full communion and in good standing, right? And he's going to legitimize adultery, basically. So, um, it's a scandal. This is obviously mortally sinful. Um, This is one of those areas where you see that people who are, are so much hope and against hope that the Novus Ordo Mass is valid, they're actually in practice saying, gee, we hope the host that he's giving these adulterers is really the body of Christ, which would be a horrible sacrilege, you know. But they're hoping that it is valid so they can do these things to the body of Christ. How can one hope that? You have to hope it's not valid, you know, uh, when they do such things and they commit such sacrileges. If... They are. I mean, if that's just bread they're giving out, it just symbolizes the body of Christ, that's just a communion service, a Protestant communion service. But if it really is the body of Christ, that is the most horrible sacrilege, like the very type of thing you'd find in satanic worship, to invite people in the state of mortal sin like that, and flagrant, opened mortal sin to come and receive, if that is the body of Christ, do we really want that? Are we really urging and arguing for that? I would hope not. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, th- this is this is expressing the mind of Francis. He already wrote to the bishops of uh, Brazil or Argentina that his, his Amoris Laetitia uh, teaching and their interpretation of it is 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 magisterial. Is magisterial. So he already agreed with that. So all that all this man is doing, this Novus Ordo bishop is doing, is following through on Francis has already said. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore. And it seems to be a, a theme, Father, because the article references multiple other bishops who have done the same thing. Sure. Um, so. this, the so-called Bishop of Malta uh, has already done the same thing. So this is just following through on what Francis is already saying. Mm-hmm. You, so all these roads go back to Francis and what he's doing. Do you see this becoming more more mainstream? Do you think that this will become oh, yeah. a, a new... Uh, I guess Francis doesn't have doctrines in his church, but do, do you think that this will become kind of more, more and more widespread? Oh, yeah. As the LGBT Q is becoming mainstream in the modern church because Francis is promoting all of these people in positions of power. Right? So that is definitely also becoming more mainstream. All of these matters of sexual morality are being subverted by Francis, who is already on record as saying these are the least of the sins. The, 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 the lowest things we should consider. We, should, we have to consider other things that are much more important, like uh, such as poverty and capitalism, 
These are the real evil things, and the destruction of the environment, and the offense to Mother, the Mother Earth. You know, these are the things that are really important. He's even talking about introducing it now a catalog of environmental, or what he's calling ecological sins. Mm -hmm. At the same time, he's minimizing or even just legitimizing what the church has always condemned as mortally sinful that would send a soul to hell. Francis is truly subverting the entire moral order of the Catholic Church and society, the human society. This has got to be a, a uh, preparation for the, for the coming of the, the, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. And to your point, Father, I think another example of that is a, a recent uh, trip that Francis took to Bangkok. And oh. he, uh, he had a, a stadium full of, they said, around 60,000 people, and he... Uh, Apparently, in, in his, his speech there, he uh, urged respect for prostitutes. And he, he has a quote here where he says, All of them are part of our family. They are our, they are our mothers, our brothers, our sisters. Let us not deprive our communities of seeing their faces, their wounds, their smiles, and their lives. So this seems to be exactly what you're saying, minimizing these, these sins the of... Evil and normalizing. Legitimizing. What a terrible thing to do to prostitutes. What a terrible thing to do to them to make them think that what they're doing is just fine. And how many of them wind up aborting the children, too. And they're keeping this this uh, this this business, this immoral business, going. And often, the poor, the the, the women themselves are slaves. They're slaves to these. Uh, doesn't Francis understand that? Yes, he certainly does. He actually, back in Argentina, was a really good buddy of someone who did exactly that. That's what he did for a living. He maintained the the slavery of these women, and that's how he be, the man became rich. So, you know, we have to see Francis as a pontifical hypocrite. He's like, you know, the supreme body. He's like the supreme hypocrite for what he does and what he says. And, um, and, and by the way, I mean, that is showing itself in the finances of the Vatican right now. I mean, the Secretary of State of the Novus Ordo, uh, Paralin, Paralin, uh Francis's right-hand man over there, uh, the man who is basically the apologist for the selling out of the of the the the, 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 the Novus Catholic people in China, selling them into slavery and and to persecution at the hand of the communist Chinese government. This man <clears throat> admitted that he was behind the recent bank scandals, and it was his decisions that got the Vatican into this. But there are so many of these so-called cardinals and monsignors and bishops and archbishops in the Vatican who are, are we have their hand in the till and they are up to their ears in scandal with regard to financial uh, misappropriations and and double dealings and so on there's so much of this going on right now <clears throat> we just saw <clears throat> the the Marxist president of Bolivia Evo Morales forced to resign and flee the country. He was so corrupt. But he's been president there for what? I mean, going on maybe 14 years now. All this time, he's been the, the great puppet of the communist, the Chum, communist Chinese, sending $700 million worth of aid in a short space of time to prop up the socialist government 
of uh, Evo Morales in Bolivia. Morales was the one who gave Francis the hammer and sickle crucifix, okay? He's a communist. And uh, what brought about his downfall, um, the, the, the Chinese are very, very heavily involved in South America. We've seen how they're propping up the government also of Madeira, right? Madeira in, um, in uh, Venezuela, right? They're, they're propping up that government down there, the socialist government, and so it was in Bolivia. What was the occasion that made uh, it necessary for uh, uh, the communist Evo Morales to give up control of the government in Bolivia? Well, not long ago, months ago, we saw that the rainforest in the Amazon was burning. <clears throat> the celebrities made a huge uh, issue of that, all right? Mm -hmm. The burning of the rainforest, the mother earth goddess is being attacked, and uh, are the environment, the lungs of the world are being attacked. Oh my goodness, they, they were all excited and all upset about that. And this was showing how bad Bolsonaro was in Brazil, as though he was responsible for that. But actually, if you go to the website, uh, Call Me Jorge, Call Me Jorge, you remember that Francis, that's what Francis said, when someone said when he was elected, the pontiff of the Nova Soto, what should we call you? Yeah, just call me Jorge. <clears throat> So they took that name as their website. And I found that when they post something on there, they, they can back it up. They have good, good sources to show that this is true. I just posted uh, an article there uh, showing that Eva Morales was actually burning off like millions of acres of rainforest to clear land to raise cattle. And the cattle were going to be marketed in China. He was going to sell, that was his way of paying off the Chinese, in a sense, in cattle, the communist Chinese, uh, by having the cattle to send over for the, uh, the, the market to feed the Chinese. <clears throat> and uh, this is how the Chinese are going to provide for, the communists are going to provide for their people. <clears throat> you see this investment they have in these lands uh, really does, is really for the benefit of their market back in China and to keep them in power. <clears throat> and here is Morales burning off all of these acres there, which is then represented as the, the evil deed of the conservatives, not the socialists. But when the people were so upset because they knew the reality of what was happening here and who was behind it, that Morales had no choice but to, but to uh, sit down and flee the country. He's fled to Mexico, where he's now welcomed. He's got sanctuary in Mexico. <clears throat> this happens time and time again when you have a socialist. <clears throat> it was so ruining his country, he has to not only step down, but he has to run for his life. <laughs> because he, well, look at, look at Lula, who was just there. Look what happened to him, right? Now he's gotten out. And he's now uh, insisting that he's going to make everyone's life miserable. That's not the expression he used, <clears throat> but I'm not going to use the expression he did. <clears throat> but they all were already making people's lives miserable when they were in power. And now that they, when, they, when they get out of prison, they're back to make people's lives miserable again. This is what the left does. And the, the, what I'm getting to is, is this, that Evo Morales, the communist, it's a Vatican bank account. 325 million euro. 325 million euro personal bank account in the Vatican. The Vatican Bank, the Institute for Religious Works. 
I think he's going to live probably a pretty comfortable life in Mexico with that money. <clears throat> and where did that come from? <clears throat> communists paying communists, right? So in any case, we see these things happening in the Vatican right now and we realize how corrupt things are. I understand that I've been told, anyway, <clears throat> that on the latest flight that Francis was on from Japan back to Rome, he was even talking about the all of these Vatican bank scandals and indicated that these are the mark of a healthy bank. All of these scandals and the uproar that they cause. Now, I haven't seen that report yet, but I'd like to see, you know, exactly what he said there. So, you, you know, we're going back to this, uh, this bishop you mentioned uh, in Italy who... Um, uh, says he has one word to address to the to the adulterers in his in his country um, or in his diocese. Sorry, I'd like to see. I mean, the Italian expresses "mi dispiace." "Mi dispiace" means "I'm sorry." Okay, I, I wonder what was the exact Italian expression that he used when he said, "I have one word for you, and this is it." Okay, one expression for you. Sorry, you know. Uh, I don't know what the Italian said, but certainly if the English translation is any representation of, of that, then I'd say he represents a complete surrender of the Catholic moral order to Satan. That, that's what that represents. He might as well be saying these words, and eventually I suppose they will. Eventually, this the way we're going, the modernists will bring it to the point where they actually are apologizing to Satan for having given him a, a bad rap. You know? uh, that's what Satan is really after anyway. That's what he really wants. Yeah. He wants an apology. <laughs> he wants to be rehabilitated and he wants to be acknowledged that he, in fact, is the good guy. That's, that's where they're going. Father, you know, we talk about, on, on this program, we talk a lot about the Our Lady of Fatima and, and her message there. And, you know, I, I think her... Her main message was was stop sinning, stop offending God. And she said one of the, I believe even the the worst way that we offend God is is with our uh, is with sins of the flesh. Well, she, she told that. she told Jacinta, our Blessed Mother told Jacinta that more souls go to hell because of sins of the flesh mm -hmm. than for any other reason. And now we have this. Now we have Francis with his, um, you know, be nice to to prostitutes mantra, and, and his bishops who are saying, you know, don't worry about it if you're an adulterer, mm -hmm. it's no big deal. It seems that they're almost explicitly anti the yeah. anti Fatima message. Well, they're not only not bad; they're, they're victims. They're victims <laughs> of the judgments of society and the church. You know, getting victim status really makes you uh, admirable in the eyes of the world today. And this is what they do. I mean, they, they subvert the moral order so that what was considered vicious and shameful before is now admirable. You should aspire to this. LGBTQ. I mean, where are your initials in there? They, you know, let's aspire to this. They have... Well, anyway, I, I, I know uh, there's a great deal that could be said, uh, as you know, Tom, but I don't know that it all should be said now. <laughs> but you get the picture. This okay. is this is what the modernism does. This is what the modernists do. And Francis is the modernist in chief. He is the supreme pontiff of modernism. And um, I fear for his soul. I do. I mean, I pray for his conversion. And I pray and for all those who follow him.
I do pray for them, that God will rescue them from this pit that they're so headlong plunging into and trying to take the rest of the world with them. So uh, yeah, well, I pray that they not succeed, yeah. either in condemning themselves or anyone else. Father, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for uh, offering your, your guidance in these times. Oh. I know I, I appreciate it myself, and I know that all of our viewers do as well. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're very welcome, Tom. Thank you, too. No problem. I, I, I know it's not easy to ask a simple question and then get such uh, seemingly complex answers. But nonetheless, um, I hope some good results from it. And I thank our, our viewers and their support. I thank them for their support very right. much. Yeah. We couldn't do without them. That's right. Well, thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.